Hi, this is Lisa Tamati, bringing you Pushing the Limits, the show that gets deep into the psyche of limit pushers across all genres. Out-of-the-box thinkers, cutting-edge researchers, leaders, athletes, academics, entrepreneurs and social change innovators and more. Cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievements, their philosophies and motivation. Join me in my quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can take from their experiences. Brought to you by runninghotcoaching.com, the platform that helps you achieve your health and fitness goals. Well, welcome to the show, Pushing the Limits, where we get inside the minds of those who are, uh, think a little bit outside the box. And today we're with Samuel Gibson from the Hawke's Bay. Welcome to the show, Samuel. Hi, Lisa. Good to be here. Well, thanks for joining us today, Samuel, and agreeing to be our, um, our subject for the one-hour-long in-depth uh, interview that we're going to have with you today. Now, Samuel, I want to paint a picture for our viewers of who you are and, and what life is like for you. Now, Samuel, you were born with brittle bone disease. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and, and, and what consequences that's had? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the Latin term, the, the long name is osteogenesis imperfecta. That's just really genetic bone disorder. And so in, in common layman's terms, we call it brittle bones. Um, it's a genetic condition. And in my case, it was just a spontaneous mutation, as they call it. So no one else in my family has this condition. And uh, because of that, it took them a little while to figure out um, what was wrong. When I, when I was born, the, uh, the midwife did what midwives do. She tipped me upside down and whacked me on the bum to get me breathing. And um, she certainly got me breathing. In fact, I'm told that I screamed for the next three days. Oh. And, uh, and it turns out they discovered uh, after a, a while that I, she'd actually broken both of my legs. And oh. it, they went on to then understand that I had a a pretty rare condition called osteogenesis infecta. And um, so I guess physically for me, um, I haven't grown like like most people do. I'm about three foot. If I could stand up, I'd be about three foot tall. Uh, I, I use a wheelchair to get around. And um, yeah, so it does in, physically has a bit of an effect on, on me. Uh, but yeah, I try not to... That, yeah, that like too much, you try not to let it affect you too much. Now, as a as a little child, so once, talk me through some of the problems that you would have faced growing up. So you were born, you already had two broken legs. Um, what in the in that early time? Because you're not thirty eight now, are you, Samuel? Yeah, yeah, 38, 39, yep. Back then, I suppose, you know, things were a little bit different. Um, So did they recognise it? How long did it take? And and how many broken bones did you go through within your childhood? Yeah, so you're you're dead right. Um, It was back in the late 1970s, obviously long before Google uh, Mm. was even a word. And so understanding what I had was was quite a big deal. you know that the doctor diagnosed me, diagnosed me uh, to my parents based on just a little paragraph in one of his old journals on his wow. bookshelf. Um, so it was pretty pretty light on information, um, and 
back then the thing to do when people uh, with serious conditions were born was to put them into an institution and um, <laughs> that was the first thing he said to my parents he said well he said Samuel's got a pretty severe condition and you really need to put him into an institution and um, yeah I, I think uh, they were pretty courageous in standing up to that doctor on that day and wow. they, they said no thanks and um they were they were keen for whatever challenges lay ahead, and you know it's pretty hard to really put into words how lucky I am that they made that choice. But, um, yeah, like this would have had. I mean, I, I imagine as your parents. Now you've got a couple of um, brothers and sisters. How many siblings have you got? I've got an elder brother and two younger sisters. Right. So you know, pretty stressful life for your, for your family. They've got four kids. Um, and and you've got the severe disease. So growing up, how? Because I've I've often wondered this when I've talked to you. Like, what the heck were your parents like? They must have been phenomenal people because the person that you are, the confidence that you exude, um, must have come from somewhere. Is is it from your family background? Yeah. No. Uh, without a doubt, I'm. I, I take no credit for the person I am. It's, I'm just a product of my upbringing, I think, and I got some pretty special parents. I think um, when they were faced with a challenge like that, it, it brought it brought something pretty resilient out of them, and they became real uh, fighters on my behalf. And, yeah, I remember um, my parents, you know, facing up to all sorts of, whether it was the school or... or um, the medical system or whatever it was, they were always pushing for, you know, what was best for me. And I'm, I'm just hugely grateful for that. And um, and so, you know, I was always just one of the kids. I was never, ever treated any, um, in any special way. And they made sure that that's how I was um, for the whole of my growing up. And at school, I was just one of the kids. So I, yep. I got into as much trouble as anybody else and uh, got punished the same and, <laughs> and, and all of those things. And um, so I think, you know, from day one, I was never treated any, um, any differently or any sort of n- not as special, if you'd like to use that yeah, word. Yeah, 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 I'm hearing you. You know, um, so is that a really good sort of uh, message to get out to parents? who have got children with, with different problems, be it something major like what you've got or something, in my case, I had asthma and, and my parents did exactly the same. They didn't treat me any different. They, Yes, they made allowances at certain times when I had medical problems, but they didn't stop me running or keep me inside or, or you know, mollycoddle me. Was that the same for you? So you didn't get oh, mollycoddled? Absolutely, um, you've you've hit the nail on the head. And I mean, there was always what needed to be done for Samuel, whether it was special equipment or whatever. It was always done, but never made a big deal of. And yeah. awesome. you know, I was never sort of treated as anything, anyone different uh, to anyone else. And they just really got on with life. And I think um, I never really saw myself as different because of that. Um, I was just always one of the kids at, at home or at school. Um, I, I had, you know, a good bunch of mates and I think that really set the scene for, um, you know, the next 30, 
39 years. Yeah, absolutely. So your parents would have had to fight against a lot of things. Like, not only did they have to deal with a, with a child with a disability, but they, like you said, they had to fight against the medical... Uh, school of thought at the time they had to fight to get you into schools they they would have come up a lot against a lot of prejudices um out of out of probably fear and not knowing um and do you think that that's better today in our society in our world today those sort of issues or is it still very much the same for people with disabilities um I mean, we have a lot more information available to us, and I think our medical system's come a long way, as how has the education system in New Zealand. I was the first person at my primary school to ever go to school in a wheelchair. There'd never been anyone in a wheelchair there before. Wow. And so I think that sort of tells you something, that that was just not the dumb thing. Um, and there was this huge fear um, in, in taking on this, this fragile little boy, the student, that, mm. and it was only because they wanted to, you know, the best for me, and that they didn't want to break me just like anybody yeah. else. Yeah, I can understand. Um, but mum and dad had to really push and push and push and just make sure that all of those fears were allayed that I could, I could go and be one of the kids. That is fantastic that they did that. Can you imagine what your life would have been like if they had institutionalised you right from the beginning? Oh, I try not to, yeah. <laughs> would have yeah. been a completely different world, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So your, your parents are just fantastic people by the sounds of it. Now, moving moving along a little bit later, so during your school years, you had a bunch of mates over the year that, that accepted exactly where you were. I mean, a lot of kids today and, and, and back in my day got bullied, you know. If you were slightly different, you got bullied. Um, did you face any of those sort of issues? No, I, I, I only remember one incident in my whole schooling life uh, where something was said that that was, you know, um, that hurtful. And, and that, that guy on that day, he was torn to pieces by his peers for saying <laughs> that. Um, and I think they just really understood that. Um, I saw myself as one of the, the kids and I really gave it my best to, to be you know, included and, and um, you know, just to, uh, I had a very quick tongue. <laughs> it was probably um, helpful to me during my, my school life. Um, yep. Yeah, I always had lots of mates and they always looked out for me and they still do. So Fantastic. Very, very lucky. Yeah. I mean, I've just been over with Samuel in the Hawke's Bay and, um, you know, I've seen you a few times over there and you're just part of the scenery there, aren't you? You like, we could... Physically, you look very different than the average person, um, and because of your uh, your height, like you said, around three foot tall, um, and your first impression is, well, you must have a heck of a hard life, and then you spend a few minutes in your company and you forget about the disability, is what I find sound really... Um, <laughs> Absolutely amazing that after half an hour in your company, I'm no longer seeing 
the dude in a wheelchair who's three feet tall. I'm seeing Samuel, the amazing person with this attitude that's big enough for the whole, you know, the whole town to fit in and and who's just getting on with life. And that's what impressed me just so immensely because so many of our people, um, we, we have confidence issues. I mean, I was watching some TED Talks last night and it's all about... Uh, confidence and building some confidence and without confidence that you can achieve absolutely nothing in life because if people will put you down and if you're putting yourself down on top of that you're actually not going to get anywhere you have to be your biggest backer and that confidence is perhaps easy to come by when you're I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're you're rich and you're successful and you've got uh, an amazing physique and you're you're whatever you know you got all the advantages but how do normal people and in your case how was someone with brittle bone disease who looks physically different than than most people on the street how the hell do you end up being so confident and so able that's what you know we've talked in the past about the word disable how do you get that inner confidence despite the odds yeah um i mean i talked about my parents and upbringing and and not being treated as any differently and we were always taught as kids not to look at how people um are you know how they appear but Mm -hmm. get to know them and and appreciate them for that and i think um I mean, how we see ourselves has a huge effect on, on who we've become. Yep. And I understood that I was just one of the kids, and I've always genuinely seen myself as as that, just another another bloke. And yes. I think, um, like you said, when you first see me, you perhaps are taken aback by, um, you know, this little guy in a wheelchair. But anyone who gets to know me as a person, they quickly forget about that, like you've just said. And, Very um, quickly. You know... We were, we were going out for dinner recently and uh, one of our good mates was organising it and um, we got to the venue and it was upstairs and yeah. she was just horrified, like just mortified that she'd forgotten that I was in a wheelchair. <laughs> and I think that speaks volumes that, you know, um, actually forgotten anyone who knows me doesn't see the wheelchair, just like you've said, yeah. So what did she actually do in that case? Pull, someone lifted the chair up and got you up there? That's, that's pretty much what happened. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a fundraiser and um, was at a sports club and there's plenty of big burly blokes around who just kind of yep. manhandled me up the stairs. But <laughs> I think that I actually took that as quite a compliment, thinking, well, I know you would never do this intentionally and yep. she absolutely wouldn't. Um, but she just truly forgotten that I was in a wheelchair. Yeah, because she just... Yeah, it's just Samuel, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. And Samuel, I met you, just to give the listeners a bit of background about our relationship, I um, was doing a speaking tour and was in Napier and you were in the audience listening to me speak and then afterwards you came up and we, we had a good old chat about things and uh, we sort of clicked didn't we? We sort of like um, hit it off, and then from then from then on, we started planning some silly missions together. <laughs> so, what was yeah. your take on how we got what got to meet and what we what we're doing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember that that, um, that evening really, really well. 
you know, hearing your story, I'd always followed you as an athlete and your your accomplishments. And I think um, what your stories always appeal to me because it's it's about that grit and it's about pushing, pushing, pushing beyond yep. what we and others think that we're capable of. Um, I, I really get that. And so hearing you speak, um, your story just really resonated with me. I, I totally got it. And um, in fact, I was just about in tears at some point because I just, I just was with you right there about you know going beyond what we think we're capable of, and um, and I think that's probably why we clicked, and that yeah. I I sort of understood where you were at, and I think you quickly understood where I was at. Um, Absolutely. And then we kind of quickly, quickly agreed to do something crazy one day, and um, we've kept in touch ever since, really. Yeah, and and um, for the for the the uh, listeners out there, we probably can release a little bit of information about our crazy mission that we've got. Um, Samuel and I, since that day that we met, um, have started planning. Um, backwards and forwards we've been coming back and forwards with ideas because Samuel's first thing one of the first things he said to me one day if you ever want a little guy in a wheelchair gritting it out next to you while you're running hundreds of k's you know I'm your man and I was like <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like seriously yeah and he was like hell yeah and um, you know I do this and I do that and um, I've you know been, been a sailor and we'll get on to that story in a minute and I and I thought, that that really, I just liked that. I just liked that attitude. And I thought, right, I don't know what the hell we're going to do or what crazy mission <laughs> we'll come up with, but you're on, mate. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. And since then, uh, we've been working hard on, on planning and we've got, um, without releasing all their details yet, because this is um, just still undercover, but um, we're doing a big rail trail um, in the South Island next year and we'll be raising money for hospice. So um, Samuel's going to be gritting it out there with me and two two mates um, as we run and he wheelchairs along, which sounds easy, eh? And like the other day, Samuel said to me, oh, I feel like a bit of a fraud in this wheelchair thing while you guys are running. And I'm going, mate... <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to be out there for 100 plus hours doing 300 k's over a period of a, a few days you're going to be toughing it out in the exposure the jolting the the hardcore doing it with us you know and that's what I'm really looking forward to What the undertaking that you have with us I mean for us it's obviously hard we're going to be running 60 to 70 k's a day and smashing ourselves to pieces but by the same token so Samuel um, it's certainly just because he's not running um, it's going to be very hard and I said to you the other day mate don't underestimate this challenge that we've got ahead of ourselves it's going to be very hard on your body um, but I know that you're going to guts it out there with us and I can't wait to experience that and, and, and the teamwork and the, the camaraderie that we will develop over that time. I'm, I'm just super excited about this mission. How are yeah, you feeling I, about it? Oh, I'm just fizzing. I mean, you know, um, I've always loved the endurance side of sport. Um, you know, we talked about sailing and we might talk about that soon, but I, I love the 
just the 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 endurance events where you just it's it's your stamina, it's your it's your perseverance, it's your determination that actually gets you over the line. And I think you know what what we're planning on is is all of those things. And for me to be part of it, you know, this is yeah, I'm, I'm very very excited. It's epic, eh? It's going to be epic. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait either and I you know I think it's going to um, be an interesting journey and it's certainly um, we do want to raise money for charity we're all very you know uh, socially socially minded and want to give back and the hospice um, is, is going to be a great cause to do this for now Samuel tell us a little about your sailing now you are a sailor you and recently you did a big mission. Tell us about that. I, I did. So again, I've always been interested in sailing, and um, about six years ago, I had the opportunity to to learn to sail. Um, not something I really ever thought of as a possibility for me, but we we figured it out. We've got a sailing group here in the Hawke's Bay, which we've got um, some specially modified dinghies where I can just jump in and. And, and go for it. And, um, you know, I, I fell in love with it it's almost immediately. Um, and this idea that I could actually sail. And and so quickly, um, I, I asked myself, well, how far can I push this? How, how far can I go with this, um, mm. this new passion of mine? And, and, and a, a goal that I set um, quite early on was one day, sailing my little single seat dinghy across the Cook Strait. And I figured that, um, you know, it's in New Zealand, so it should be easy enough to get to. It's, it's, it's a pretty challenging piece of water, but with the right amount of planning and the right amount of training, I reckon we can do it. Yep. And come April this year, um, everything kind of came together and we... We headed to Picton, and um, we waited for the weather. We had some a lot of pretty amazing people supporting us along the way. Uh, team New Zealand, the, the, the sailing team, they had their, their weatherman on standby for us. Wow. Giving us his updates every day on what he thought would be the best time and, and date of sales. And, um, and on the 16th of April, um, all the stars came into line and we gave it a go and we made it. And, and, and how um, many of you were taking part in this expedition? So there were there were four dinghies, so four four sailors, and we all had our own, you know, individual set of um, challenges. And um, yeah, and we all made it, and it was a pretty special day. And uh, yeah, something I'll never forget for sure. So you, your mates out there, did they have uh, physical problems as well, or are they? Yeah. Um, a couple of them did. Yep, one of them was is uh, par- paraplegic. Yep, or he's um, spina bifida, mm-hmm. and the other one is blind. So you know, <laughs> how, we had all how do you go across <laughs> the Cook Strait when you're blind? Yeah, it's pretty cool, eh? Um, <laughs> and so we had all of these challenges that we were, you know, sailing um, and managing with, and and um, yeah, you know, like I said, with the right amount of training and and the right amount of planning these things become a possibility. Absolutely. Um, and, and so how does that physically work? So someone helps you into the boat 
and then you must operate it all with your arms. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. So the it's a little dinghy and it's got a like a mini keel on it, a weighted centerboard, so it won't tip over. Yep. Um, and I have for that long sail, I had um, motorised assistance on the on the sails, so I could pull them in and out. Um, yep. With a bit of help, and just in case the weather got rough, you know, you need to. Um, I needed to have that, and then I the, the steering um, is the same thing. Yep. So you 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 you're navigating your way across, and if if you couldn't pull the sail up physically because of the strength issues, then you had a little motor that would that would that's kick that's in and right. help yep. pull it pull it up or whatever it do. When you, I've never sailed in my life, so I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're pretty close to the water. You're exposed. You're out there for what ten twelve hours. Yep, that's right. Um, we left at sun just before sunrise. Yep. And, um, Got in just after sunset, so it was a, it was a full day out on the water, right. just over ten hours, and um, yeah, oh, it was it was it was an amazing experience. Yeah, sure. I bet it was. So you were pretty exposed out there. You know what would have happened if something had gone wrong? You had sort of contingency plans, backup plans for. Yes, exactly, Lisa. And like you know, with these big events, it's all about the planning. Oh yeah, it's all about your contingency, and you know we had contingencies on contingencies if anything went wrong um, with us medically or with the conditions or with with the the gear that we were using as well so you know we had to think of all of those things in the Cook Strait it's a pretty exposed place oh, and it's um it's actually quite isolated it's not it's not easy to get back to to land because um you know picked in 30 odd K up and down there's currents there's swells Actually, on the day that we we sailed, um, there was about a four metre swell, yep. and it was big enough that the ferries were cancelled that day. <laughs> but, but our little dinghies, they they tossed it out, and we got across. So. <laughs> you, you were the man at Team New Zealand wasn't too good then. <laughs> we sent you out in a oh, four metre no. swell. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just a, a lovely, gentle rolling swell, which is fine. Right. When you're in a little dinghy, um, if you're on the Cook Strait ferry, it's a different story. So. So, yeah, okay, no. you did this adventure with your with your mates, and what sort of an impact has that had on you as an athlete and now, as a, as a person, and, and you know, like for for our expedition, how has that changed your mindset of what you're capable of? I think it's just a really clear um, re and reinforcing that that idea that with the right amount of planning and training. You know, you, you can achieve a lot. And at face value, I know that crossing the Cook Strait in a three and a half metre plastic dinghy doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> um, but but with with both things happening, you know, all of that planning and the safety, you know, it, it was fine. We didn't feel in danger. In fact, it went so well that we just had fun out there. And, um, Fantastic. That, that's pretty much how it was. Yeah, so in other words, people listening out there as long as you do your preparation your planning your contingency plans your safety plans you can take on massive challenges regardless of your physical abilities absolutely 100 percent. yeah so it's all about your mindset basically isn't it yep and i think i really think that 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 sailing that expedition proved all of those points 
it, it did. Because, you know, one of the things that we both agree on, and, and, and my life story is completely different to yours, but we both come up against some pretty major obstacles. And then we sit there and we go, right, there's got to be a way over this, around this, under it, whatever, but I'm not taking no for an answer. And I think that is key to success in life. You know, like not accepting failure, not accepting no. Um, okay, as an obstacle, right, which way do we get around it? And that's the attitude that you must have had to do that across Cook Strait. Okay, there's an obstacle whether it be uh, physical limitations or the boat modifications or and you just found a way around them exactly you know um lisa from just a a little kid a young kid i had my i I coined myself a little motto um and and that motto and it still is the case is there is always a way (laughs) and because i never saw myself as any different to anyone else yeah I always had the same goals and the same aspirations and I wanted to do the same things. But, you know, to do those things for me, I, I just had to be a bit creative <laughs> and and to give it heat. And and it's proved itself over and over and over again. It, it was never meant to be, you know, profound or really for anyone else, but just for myself as a, as a, as a reminder that no matter how big the challenge, there is always a way. That, and that is just so powerful because it exactly that 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 personifies you. Give it heaps, find a way, never give up. I've got the same goals. I'm going to have to work twice as hard as any other bugger, but that doesn't matter. I'm not going to do it. And that uh, so people, you, you say you don't think it's very profound, but I actually think that that's such a powerful message that you've got to give people all about resilience, persistence, overcoming obstacles. Just, in your case, not put one foot in front of the other, but one wheel in front of the other. Um, <laughs> and never take a no for an answer. That, that's exactly right. And look, and I think it would be fair to say that that has proved itself to be <laughs> to work for me in, in my lifetime. And Yeah, I think it'll always be my motto. And, and it's something that I want to instill in, in my, my own children that, that same approach to everything in life. Is, just is, and, keep yeah. going, just figure it out. So let's, let's move on to you mentioned your, your children. You've got two beautiful girls. Samuel, do, you've got a yeah. beautiful wife, two children. How the hell did you achieve that? Now, most people, I've got friends with disabilities and I've got friends without disabilities and I know myself it took till the age of about 45 before I found a partner because <laughs> I had many bulls ups along the way. <laughs> how do you, you know, how do you, how did you meet your lovely wife? Well, that's, yeah, that's a bit of a story in itself. Um, sure is. After, after uni, um, I went travelling and um, one of those adventures was through Southeast Asia. And, As you um, do in a wheelchair. <laughs> exactly. And there was a, I remember the day very, very well. Uh, we were in northern Thailand crossing over the Mekong River into a country called Laos. Yep. Um, it was, uh, it's, it's very much just jungle. There's really no roads there. Um, so people will navigate around by rivers. 
and we were just getting onto this this barge and we met a couple of other um, backpackers and they were Canadian girls and we just kind of figured out pretty quickly because you latch on to people who you can see are you know doing the same yep. thing um, and we figured out that we were, we were kind of getting in the same direction so we just kind of teamed up for a few days um, well that was the original plan <laughs> and um yeah, after a couple of days together, um, Jen and I kind of realised that there was something happening between us. And, you know, for both of us, um, looking for love in the Laos jungle was the last thing on your mind, right? <laughs> um, and so and so it was like, well, what's what's going on here? And, and um, yeah, so we the, those few days ended up a few weeks. And um, yeah, it's actually ended up a lifetime for me. So, so you fell in love and Jen ditched her living in Canada and came to live with you here in New Zealand. That's right, yeah. yeah. So I, I came back to New Zealand, um, quit my job and moved to Canada and we got married. We lived over there for a year or so. All right. And then we moved back to the, here in the Hawke's Bay. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a fairy tale. It sure is. To, What's, what's, what we call a still an epic adventure. So. <laughs> she, she must, and I still haven't met Jean yet on all my trips over, we keep missing each other, but she must be a very special lady. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not much more I can say than that. <laughs> now, um, then you, so you got married to this wonderful Canadian lady and then you decided you, you wanted to have a family, which, um, you know, is pretty normal, standard sort of things. But you had to face a few issues around that too, didn't you? you we, we did, uh, Lisa. It's, um, obviously, I have a, a genetic condition and a condition that I have to admit, you know, was was challenging at times and, mm. and it still is. And we... we um, I was pretty firm in the fact that if we were going to have children, I, I didn't want them to to go through the same things I did. Even though I I had a great childhood and growing up, I, I really did. Yeah. Um, I guess if I had an option, yeah, you know, not having brittle bones as a kid probably would have been what I would have chosen. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I thought, well, I'd, I'd rather if we can um, not have our our kids go through the same thing. So. We we started doing research on on this whole thing and learned a lot about genetics in the process, um, and we teamed up with with some um, geneticists as they they called and they basically studied my DNA for it took them eight years to figure out whether or not we could have kids that uh, inherit my condition, and so they finally did. They found the marker in my DNA. That uh, that causes brittle bones, and that means that we can then go through a process um, of having children that didn't have my condition. So, so, yeah, it was it was a, a real journey and tough at times for us. So, how that yeah, like eight year long journey fighting to be able to have a family and to work really on the cutting edge of research um, to call into being these two beautiful little girls that you've got now. And yeah, what have they meant to you and to your life? Oh, I honestly, some days I just have to pinch myself because they they just bring us so much joy. 
<laughs> and I think um, because we were kind of prepared, we, we were trying to be prepared that we might never have kids, and that yeah. was kind of a reality for it's a reality for many. Um, and and we were preparing that for ourselves, and and so to have these beautiful little girls, and and they are, um, it's it's just it's yeah, we're just very very blessed. Yeah, how old are they now, Samuel? So Rosa is six, yep. and Isabel four. Right, so they're little wee ones still. <laughs> yep, they're both full of life, yeah. Fantastic, yeah, and you know, that journey, that fertility journey, um, yeah, again, is something that resonates me. I'm on my own journey trying to trying to get there. Um, and yep. it's and it's not an easy one, and, and to face life, you know, perhaps as childless or, you know, in your case, it's been successful. And, and that sort of determination, once again, that persistence and not going, oh, it's all in the too-hard basket and giving up after a couple of years, you know, and, and persevering. And, and now those two little girls are, you know, are, are with us and, and um, they don't have the challenges that you had as a child. And I think that's an absolutely amazing story right there. I think you've got to write a book, mate. This is, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible life. <laughs> You're too busy planning expeditions and stuff, you know. <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, that. your whole life, the reason I wanted to talk to you on my show about pushing the limits because, um, yes, you were you you were born with a genetic problem. You've you've had limitations set upon you because of this genetic uh, trouble, but you've never let them stop you living a completely full life, um, over full probably at times, and and actually enjoying your life as well and all the challenges that have come your way and the power of that message for you as a speaker out there on the circuits you do a bit of corporate speaking and and speaking to charities and schools and things like that i i really think you're a superstar i i I would like to see you on the world circuit of speaking and sharing that story because i think it's just so inspiring to everyone else you know it just reminds me when 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 we're working on our stuff and I and I talk to you or whatever it's just like get on with it you know I was ready to semi-retire from ultra marathoning until you came along and now I'm back (laughs) about to run another 300 k's because some (laughs) silly bugger called Samuel's talked me into it And, (laughs) and I and I really love that because it's like it's it's a kick in the bum. Every time, when I ran through New Zealand, I ran through it in 2000 and, what was it, nine? And um, I was doing it for Canteen and for Cure Kids. And, and we had some kids come out from Canteen and accompany me on the on part of the run and to, to encourage me because I was having some big, bad, ugly moments of a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. And when when I had those kids out there with me, I'd just take one look at them and go, yeah, get over yourself, you know. You're not... I had um, one young lady by the name of Lana who came across... Uh, she met me in Picton, stayed with us a night or two and then came over on the ferry. And I got off on the other end and I said to, said to Lana, oh, crikey, I've got to go and run another 30Ks this afternoon, you know, last thing I feel like after getting off the ferry and, and having a couple of hours off. And what do you do, darling? And she said, oh, I'm going to have chemotherapy. 
And that just shut me up right then and there because I thought, yeah, here's me moaning about running for another 30Ks today and I'm in woe is me and I'm in pain and I'm running all these kilometres every day. She was facing chemotherapy and cancer at the age of 19 and she was doing it with a smile on her face. And it was just like a real kick in the ass. Like, no matter how bad you think you've got it, someone else has got it worse. And thus facing that challenge with a smile. So get on with it. And and that's a message that you personify as well. Whether you know it or not, the influence that you, and I think especially moving forward as you, you know, now have your life Com, you know, completely under control and know what you're doing and you're doing these amazing adventures with the likes of idiots like me. Um, moving forward, I think the power of your message will will start to resonate out there and I really, really hope that people take it on board and go, yeah, if Samuel can do it, then so can I, you know. And I think that that's just incredibly powerful. But here's me on my soapbox. I, I think... No, no, I, I agree with you, Lisa. You know, um, I, I just want to... One of the things that I was taught as a kid, um, and it's from my dad, actually, he, he used this term, luck of birth. And there's some things in life we just don't have any say in, right? Mm. That's, yep. We just don't. We don't know where we're going to be born. What? We're on this planet. Are we going to be born? We, we've got no say in that. What, what, when in time we are born, and also, you know, what, what family, what community we are born into, they're all things that we have got no control over. And so, for me, even as a young boy, I understood that I was born in New Zealand, what I consider to be the best country in the world. Yeah. I was born in a day and age where, you know, we've got the resources and everything that we need to. You have a, a, a not a bad life, a pretty good life. Mm. And I was born into a family and a community who, who genuinely care. And so I think I've always understood that I'm lucky. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think that's really helped me appreciate everything that I, I've got. Um, and, and never to look at, you know, others and think, oh, I, I wish I was like you. Because I'm, I, I'm actually lucky. <laughs> that is so powerful. That yeah, it is. Yeah, we are. We. I was watching a TEDx talk last night, as you do, uh, educating myself. And yeah. the scientists have worked out that the chance of you being on this planet now in your DNA in your form is one in four hundred trillion. So every <laughs> single one of us has one lotto times a billion just to be on this planet in any way, shape or form as we are, yeah? So there you go. And and what are each and every one of us doing with that one in 400 trillion chance? It it does make you think, like, we need to take more ownership, more accountability, more responsibility for living our life to the full and get rid of the excuses and the denial and the blame. Oh, I was born in poverty. Oh, I was born with one leg shorter than the other. Oh, I was born with whatever. So I don't, you know, I'm a victim. We are not victims. The reason any of us is on this earth is, you know, like the chances are just 
phenomenally against us. So we're the lucky ones that made it on here. Let's make oh, the totally. most of it. And we live in New Zealand, which, like you say, is the best country on earth. We've both travelled all around the world, and I don't want to live anywhere else. So just alone, those two facts put us in the, the luckiest of the luckiest basket. Um, and you've got brittle bone disease, but you've, yep, so what? That's a slight hindrance, you know. <laughs> and, and, and that attitude that well, we are so lucky and that being grateful and being responsible and you have the power to turn your life into whatever direction you want to go. Whether you didn't do well at school or whether you weren't born into a family that was rich or whatever, who gives a damn? It's up to you to change those circumstances, like you said. I totally agree. Yeah, and I, it's 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 what we focus on in life just determines the the direction that we take, right? And I know that if I focus on the things that I can't do, um, that's going to determine the direction I, I take is is towards not being able to do things. But if I look at the things that I can do, just like you have in your life, yep. um, it takes us in a completely different direction. Um, and it's just it's it's that's massive. That it's that the 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 polar difference that our lives directions can take. Yeah. Um, depending on where we put our focus, uh, and that's up to us. That's a, our own decision to make. It is. In every day, making those decisions, not to be negative, not to be down on things, not to spread negativity. Um, and we all do it at times, but we need to catch ourselves when we're doing it and thinking, yep, I'm I'm going below the line. I'm doing that blame, excuses, denial stuff instead of ownership, accountability, responsibility and and, and moving forward. And, you know, we, we can spread that word within our little lives, each one of us, you know. And, yeah, and I mean, the, 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 loudest, the loudest messages um, and, and the way that we live, I'm, I'm convinced of that. Yeah, so yeah, be an example. So we've got a couple more minutes, Samuel, and I just wanted you to have the floor to just speak. So we we recognise you as being an incredible person um, that we can learn from. So are there any final messages that you want to get out there to people listening? It's a, it's a bit of a tough one. You know, to be honest, I, I've always... I, this whole speaking thing has has been quite a challenge for me because I've never really thought of myself as you know being uh, use that inspiration word or anything like <laughs> that. I, I've always just seen myself as a regular guy, yeah, but you know. Do. And most of my life is is just that. You know, I'm I've got a beautiful wife and two beautiful children. I've got a job. I've got a mortgage. All of those things that just uh, are very regular. And so uh, when I was asked. To, to come and speak, um, my answer was always, always no, because I didn't really think that I had anything to talk about. <laughs> and and I knew also that I was being asked to come and speak because somehow I was supposed to be an inspiration and I just didn't get that. Um, but <laughs> Did I, you just I'm think you're play- normal? Yeah, I, I really do. But I'm in the place now where I understand that we actually all have a story yeah. and we all have something to share and and that sharing is so important because that's how we learn, right? Yep. And so I've been on the receiving end of a lot of sharing in my life um, 
and I wouldn't be the, the person I am without all of that. And so I need to be sharing back as well and doing everything I can to to be of help to, to anybody. One person would be great. But it's just about that understanding that we actually all have a story. Yeah, because you don't... I mean, I think that's because you never perceived yourself as being disabled, and we've talked about that horrible word before. Um, yeah, exactly. So, but but when you are asked to speak, you are asked to speak not because you're a dude in a wheelchair, but because you're a person who's overcome so many things and remained positive, confident, strong, and outgoing. That's the reason that people want to hear you speak. Even me, in my case, um, the same thing. I don't think I've done, what I've done is very amazing either. Um, yeah. But it does, yeah, it's just telling your story. It's sharing your story, and if it can help anyone else, then that's that's a great thing. So in that respect, you most definitely are an inspiration. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. And I've, I've, I've come to understand, and, you know, when you're, when you're sharing your story and you'll know this well and you know that you're connecting with your audience and you know that they're taking something away from from what you're you're sharing you know that's that's very very powerful i when i i had this sort of horrible image in my head of being asked to come and speak to this these groups of people and businesses i i didn't want to become one of those kind of almost evangelical um, <laughs> motivational speakers who yeah. run around on stage <laughs> telling everyone how they should be living their life. I don't know them. How, how do I know what they should be doing in their life? <laughs> what I can do is share my story. And this is me. And, you know, if it's, if you can take something out of it, then, then that's, that's, great. that's great. I'm hearing you. Because, yeah, I don't like those types of motivational speakers much <laughs> either. <laughs> and I think it's just it's just sharing honestly, openly, passionately, and getting a few messages across, you know, that, that exactly. may help somebody. It's not about being the great I am, because you and me both, we ain't that, but... Um. No, your message, Lisa, is you're just very true to yourself, and and you tell your story as it is. Yeah, and I, I really try and do the same. <laughs> I don't try and package all of these great series into what I'm saying. It's, I'm just me. Yeah, and you're not being the... the guy I am. This is, this is my... This is my philosophy in life, and you know, and I, and I leave it at that. And that speaks, that speaks a thousand words, you know. Yeah. What yeah. you do, what you live, how you live. Right, Samuel. That was Samuel Gibson from the Hawks Bay, the most amazing man I've ever met. Um, and we watch the space. Samuel and I, and two of our friends are going to be running and wheeling our way. Um, raising money for hospice next year but we'll get the details out there a little bit later but first I just wanted to say a big massive thank you Samuel for sharing so openly your story your story um, with your children your wife um, your whole opening up your whole life because you know it's hard to share your personal and intimate uh, details with random strangers but it's such a powerful story Um, so thank you for sharing with us today Samuel Oh, that's, that's my pleasure, Lisa, and you know, um, you, you've given a lot to me through your story and, and your achievements, and um, you know, I'm, I'm equally grateful, so uh, I'm looking forward to our journey together ahead, that's for sure. Awesome, mate. Right. You've been listening to Pushing the Limits, 
Brought to you by Running Hot Coaching, your online health and fitness coaching platform. For more information, visit us at www.runninghotcoaching.com.